Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. Hearing Justin's heart as a community journalist really took me by surprise as he outlined for me the fact that the journalists hold the good stories of our communities as well as the bad stories in our communities. And I hadn't appreciated the significance of that. And I think what resonated for me was his questioning of why do we always need to be the right one in the room rather than being best at doing no harm. And I wish we could be known more for how well we do community together. Justin, welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast, and we are really grateful for you taking some time because for, for our listeners who, who don't know you, uh, we actually have an award-winning journalist on, on the line with us today, and so it's really awesome to be able to hear some of your story uh, and hear what it's like to be a journalist these days and, and hear how faith impacts that and, and hear how your experiences uh, could speak into the way the church could change in the future. So it's great to have you, and thanks so much again for taking some time. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real privilege to be on here. So thanks for the invite. Well, maybe as, as we begin, would you mind just kind of telling our listeners a little bit about what does it mean to be Justin? Yeah, Justin, my name. <laughs> uh, born in Fiji, came to New Zealand as a child, grew up in sort of central and South Auckland, have lived in South Auckland with my wife for the last 10 or 12 years, I think. Uh, we have two kids, five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And uh, we're really committed to just I guess we've been really committed to South Auckland and, and trying to yeah, do what we can to uh, make a difference, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm a journalist by trade, but I've also dabbled in community work and worked as a legal advocate and even did the old, um, you know, some of your listeners might know of a missional community and did, did that for a couple of years as well. So, and But yeah, currently I'm working as a comms person for an NGO and in the housing sector and um, yeah, that's me. And so, yeah, and I guess previously uh, to this job, I was working at the spin-off as the South Auckland kind of focused reporter for that area. And yeah. And so you recently, I've mentioned, but you, you recently won an award for an article you wrote uh, that was published with the spin-off. I had a read of some of the, the judges' comments and, and that just kind of resonated with me, just how much your stories are filled with the voices of people in the community mm. uh, and how you're really focused on building relationships at the grassroots. You're not just kind of going for the, the top dog, so to speak. You're, you're interested in the stories on the ground. And so, so that really seems to drive you and your, your reporting, your journalism. Would that be, would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess I've always been a, the award was Community Journalist of the Year, and I've, I've been a nominated for similar awards, that particular award a few times now. So it sort of felt like a sort of final relief to get across the line. Um, awesome. Yeah, and I guess the reason I like community journalism is it is about the stories of mm. everyday people who often are actually quite extraordinary. Mm. And so I really enjoy that. I have done I guess on the other side, you know, more national news and, you know, more, I was used to be a sports reporter and things like that. And it is, it feels different. Like you're reporting on bigger things, but at the same time, it, you don't get to the heart of things in quite the same way as you do when you're talking to some, a sort of local person talking about their local issues and, and how they're dealing with those, which often have sort of national ramifications anyway. But mm. yeah, so I really enjoy 
community news. And I guess also a lot of my journalism is informed by um, community development practices that I've sort of studied and worked on and learned about as well. So I guess it's trying to intertwine those two things or use journalism in a community development kind of way. So, yeah. Awesome. I love that phrase, you know, talking to ordinary people and yet their stories are extraordinary. That's so relatable. And how did you get drawn to wanting to do this kind of work? What was the pathway for you? Um, I was actually studying to do PE uh, and was going to be a PE teacher. Um, I found that I'm a bit of an introvert and I found that sort of having to be excited all the time (laughs) for a group of 30 students was quite hard. So in my final year of PE, I actually switched to take some more papers around journalism and writing and um actually my lecturer had actually said in my first year of PE I you know you you'd probably make a good journalist if you thought about it and I was like oh that's stupid I don't want to work in the media they're a bunch of um you know so and so so I sort of <laughs> dismissed that for like three years or four years and then was like oh, actually maybe I would like writing about people and so I normally yes yeah, I initially started out as a as a sports reporter and then um realized oh there's a whole bunch of other things going on that are quite interesting as well and I might branch out into general news and other things like that so and so you mentioned that perception of of media being yeah uh did you say kind of so and so or or whatever there there is sort of potentially some uh, an interesting uh, relationship between church or religious spaces and and media and and potentially the, the vice versa uh, obviously it's been a particularly interesting couple of years with with covid and um uh, and that sort of thing can you speak a little bit to your experience of what it's like to be a, a person of faith within within media uh, mm. and how that impacts what you do? Yeah, and I guess the perception certainly doesn't match the reality, uh, but the perception was something I had as well, that the media were anti-religious, anti mm. or, or just trying to push sensationalist angles, trying to manipulate the public, which I, I honestly believe is we're just too busy to even think about those sort of things. <laughs> <laughs> and then that goes from the bottom right through to the top of media. I'm sure there'd be some media who have very strong agendas or some journalists, but at the end of the day, they're also trying really hard to just sell ads and, and keep their organizations alive. Particularly, I think now where the pool of money for advertising is so much smaller. So people are just trying to, you know, but the, and then there's also mm. a lot of really good journalists who are actually really motivated to tell stories and, and, you know, reveal the truth. And there's a lot who are motivated by that and aren't actually uh, motivated by less than ethical kind of means. But I must admit, you know, I, I, was, I was at a youth group for, no, it was a Bible study kind of leaders thing at a church I used to go to and one of the leaders, we had to share what we did for a job. He said to me, how do you live with yourself? <laughs> and, and I was like, you, "You're joking, right?" And he's like, "No, like, how can you live with yourself being a journalist?" Like, and I guess that's just the perception mm-hmm. that people think that we're, um, yeah, <laughs> kind of evil or something. But I mean, honestly, it, it's not like that, you know. I mean, and but within the media, I think there's a lot of perception that how do Christians say they're Christians <laughs> right. because they they spend so much time reporting and talking to. Or, or know the stories of all these Christians who fall and who are corrupt and who, you know, are hypocrites. So there's that that side of it as well. Like within the media, there's definitely a, like a 
confusion about how could you be a Christian? <laughs> you know, no, that's not everywhere, but there's certainly that vibe amongst some because, yeah, I guess media sort of know about everything in many ways. So as journalists, we sort of end up holding the, all the, the good and the bad that happens within our communities. And, um, mm. you know, and so a lot of journalists really carry those negative stories um, when they talk to, journal, to Christians because they're thinking of, Brian Tamakis or the, mm. the pedophile priest or the or the pastor who you know who, who's on one hand out there giving out food passes on the other hand you know like saying really awful things about vulnerable people and things like that and so you know th- those are the sort of I guess things that journalists tend to juggle which maybe the general public aren't always in mm. the front of their minds when they look at different groups and mm. things like that yeah there's clearly a, a, it's much more complex than than the surface would imply, right? Like is, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so I wonder if you could talk to some stories or or experiences that you've had that has specifically related to to church or religious space and in your role as as a journalist. Yeah, I mean, over the last couple of years, it's been pretty interesting because um, I did a lot of reporting on Ihamatau and mm-hmm. also did some reporting on the Royal Commission into um abuse and state care and faith-based organizations. And so those are two kind of, yeah, I guess the other interesting story was I, Judith Collins really leaned into her faith during the election. And those are just sort of three different examples of where, how faith and sort of entered into the public kind of conversation. And I think what was interesting about Ihamata was that a lot of mainstream churches really steered clear of that, of it because it was a protest and because it was unclear and also because they didn't have a great understanding of the sort of Maori politics at play. And mm. so, but then when it was clear that there was some Christians involved and were standing with the protests mm. or the campaigners, suddenly you, you went from having a, just a group of activists there, because I was going down every weekend um, and talking to people and sort of loosely reporting on it. And then there was something happened where I guess when Labour or the government sort of shifted their stance towards it, suddenly every church leader of every stripe was going down and suddenly it became this thing that all these, um, yeah, but it just struck me that it was the, the Christians on the edges of churches who were mm-hmm. willing to step into those really unsure, uneasy spaces. spaces. And that seemed to open the way for the mainstream. Yeah, and then just in one of my stories, we sort of reflected on that with a, a guy who was studying at Bible College about how, he was kind of told, oh, we're not going to support you. And now he's giving talks at um, conferences for his domination about the great job his denomination did and kind of trying to pray for people at that in that event. And, you know, just the, the way you know, that shifted and, and how he found that and sort of being used a little bit by his denomination in, in some respect. Yeah, and that was one interesting thing. I guess the other thing I've reflected on is just, the Royal Commission and just hearing some just terrible, terrible mm. stories and seeing how the present day church was so keen to distance themselves from the mm. hurt of their own members. And mm. there was one instance where a leader of a church um, basically had, you know, been grooming young women and trying to start relationships with them. And, and so this woman had to turn up to the hearing in like this um, sort of covered car, they had to put her behind a like a, a 
some sort of screen so that no one from that church could recognize her and then abuse her family or, you know, because they the church was so, so many people within the church were so angry at her for speaking out. Mm. And mm. None, of, none of the leaders of that church, like the ordained leaders turned up. It was lawyers who came for the hearing and to testify against her or to offer, you know, and just that just was like, wow, that, you know, and it just made me think, man, we think the church is in a bad way because of lots of things that have happened in the last few years. And it's almost to me, it's like, man, when you think back to times that we might say in the mainstream middle-class world, oh, well, probably good times for the church when Christianity was sort of more seen as like a positively by the public, you know, we had this huge amount of abuse going on Mm. and you look at, you know, all these hearings, all the abuse happened in the 60s and 70s when we thought New Zealand was a relatively benign place. And yet, you know, it was just awful things going. And you almost think the church, in some ways, needs to unravel a little bit. So these sort of abuses aren't allowed to just happen behind closed doors and mm. people just shrug their shoulders and go, oh, that's the, the local pedophile that we just make sure our kids don't trapped in a Sunday school room with him. You know, like that's that seemed to be the level of ambivalence towards the mm. abuse from when you, mm. you, you listen to some of the hearings, like how these victims felt that no one cared that they were being abused, yet everyone seemed to know. That sort of thing. And that just Yeah. Anyway, that was just it was that was quite a hard like, mm. you know, week having yeah. to listen to all those stories and just being like flummoxed by what was going on <laughs> in our society. Like I knew some things were bad, but just to think there was this level, you know, we had gang members from some of the biggest gangs in New Zealand talking about, you know, their trauma began in a faith-based institution. And now they, you know, and you think, well, that has, we talk about being hard on gangs and we think, well, we actually, you know, some of our organizations are blamed for all this gang crime we have now because we abuse their, Anyway, <laughs> oh, you could go on and on and on, eh? But it's just, yeah, yeah. No, that, that yeah. there's so much that you've just said that I'd love to pick up on. <laughs> um, but two things: that word unravel, that the church needs to unravel. Could you kind of just what would that look like? Because I think we have been saying this a little bit in our podcast that we need to have the courage to shine the spotlight in on ourselves, and to look at and have that humility to look at what we've brought to the table, you know? And so so when you say unravel, what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a pastor or a minister or a the- theological expert. I, I did a couple of years at Bible College. I, were you there when I was there, Stephen? Or I, I think we, I think we probably got over, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm not saying this from a place of no. like complete expertise, but I guess my sense is that we, and one thing I see in the media a lot, as a journalist, is that churches are very good at trying to say they're right on stuff and mm. we, we own the truth or we almost have a monopoly on the truth. And mm. it's just knowing that I was going on this podcast, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And I was just thinking, you know, what churches really do is we we can be experts in like in being good at community and good at loving people and good at caring for people. But when we're not particularly good at, been right <laughs> because <laughs> when, when there's not actually a, the bible is such a 
big and complex piece of material. And, you know, as I know in the media, you can write, <laughs> however you view the Bible, I think we get too stuck up on trying to be the, the right one in the room. And, and mm. we should really just try and be the the nice one in the room. And I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of people who want to be like, oh, we're, we've got to stand firm on blah, blah, blah. But, man, like, if we were really good at just those, Loving. doing community well, you know, mm. being ecclesia, gathering and assembling mm. well, and less hung on being right, I think we'd, that would be, you know, and that's probably letting go of some of our black and whites because, mm. you know, as we go along, every, you know, when I grew up in my church, women weren't allowed to speak. But, you know, now everyone in that church, and I don't go to the church anymore, but attend a church where, you know, they have women speaking all the time. And it's the same people who are vehemently opposed to women speaking, and now they are quite happy to worship in a congregation where women speak. You know, that seems crazy that we've shifted in that, that way, mm. and yet those are, that was a truth that was just firmly held to right up until i guess the mid 90s and and mm. and now it's not and so that's mm. and that's okay but it's just yeah it's just like well you know what what if we didn't get so hung up on these things and just thought mm. about well what is the you know let's do no harm you know let's be mm. let's be the best carers and mm. in, in our community and, and maybe that's yeah i mean i'm obviously <laughs> these are oh, yeah. great so i don't know yeah. That's a thought. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned stepping into those uneasy spaces. I guess what you're describing there would be stepping into an uneasy space because being right is powerful. And if we're suggesting, and I, I would, I would totally agree with you that the unnecessary focus on being right—that means I have to let go of my power as a as a church leader, mm. or even simply a, mm. a Christian in society, and, and to be able to say, "Hey, we're, we're on this journey." together uh let's let's together seek the truth and perhaps i can learn something from you and, and maybe you can learn something from me in that yeah and i i think that's the other aspect a eh, that being right and also just i guess you know the other thing i was just thinking about is that we're also we spend a lot of time kind of looking after each other which which is definitely important you know and i was, I was sitting in a a congregation recently and the sermon was about us being thankful for all the little things God's doing in our lives and you know and just don't be so hard on yourself and and just you know and this is sounds super harsh because <laughs> I know it's so important self-care and well-being is so important I'm, I'm so big on that but at the same time in our middle class churches we often associate a lot of the good things in our lives to God when in fact that's just because we're middle class you know, because I hang out in other middle class circles mm. and the good things that are happening in their lives are very similar to the good things happening in my middle class Christian friends' lives, you know, and it's, let's just step back a bit and go, actually, you know, let's think about who's not middle class in our society, who can't just wake up in the morning and go, oh, I got a car park and I had a great coffee with a friend and I've got all this great time to spend with my children, you know, because... I guess that's the other reflection is like, you know, there's been some, a girl died in our community and, you know, without going into all the details, it's just hard situations. People live in intense mm. stress mm. in places like South Auckland and all over, you know, and, and it, there's no like little 
moments to thank God because they're just going from night shift job to intense home life to juggling, you know, if it's a student, they're working, trying to get NCA and then they're dealing with health issues due to a bad house and all these things. And it's like, we're telling ourselves in our churches, oh, let's just, let's just look after each other and let's just sort of, yeah. It just thinks, man, there's, there's some people out there really struggling and we, we spend a lot of time really worried about how well we're handling our own little issues. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to be one of those types who say, oh, we all need to be out there on the mission field because that's not realistic. But yeah, I just think sometimes we're missing the bigger picture. Yeah. Mm. And it's a hard conversation because I, I, I struggle with that whole thing of like, um, I'm waving my hand <laughs> and obviously no one can see me doing this right now, but it's just like this, the desire to, to make a difference, to do something mm. to help people, but also to not like run yourself to the ground and become so driven that you mm. lose sight of your own family, community. Mm. Yeah. And so that, that's another conversation, I guess, almost for another day or another podcast, but those are the, how do we do that well? Be good community, but also be good for those in the world or those outside of our own community. I guess that's. And maybe, maybe what you're speaking to is that we can't do it as individuals, that this is why we need the village to do it, you know, because if you've got a group of you doing it, then I think that's more sustainable. You know, you're supporting each other to go into your community, to be able to walk alongside I think maybe that's part of where we need to shift the focus. How do we do it together? And I have another kind of question for you, because obviously with the stories you've written and the people that you, the the sorrow and the struggles that you've heard, how do you hold that? How do you hold yourself in that space? I imagine at times that is overwhelming. Yeah, I don't know if I'm particularly good at it. And I think, yeah, I, I didn't hold it that well, I think, particularly over COVID. I think the thing I found hard was we're in lockdown for about, seemed like forever. <laughs> and every day I was going out interviewing people about having COVID or getting tested or what it's like to live in an overcrowded house or what it's mm. like to be talking to food banks and just seeing the desperation on people's mm. faces. And you're just like, you're going around the streets and you all you see are like, homeless people or people who don't have the ability, you know, like elderly people who don't have a car to walk to the supermarket. And yeah, it was just such a struggle. And I, you know, I, I was pretty yeah, mentally drained by the end of um, last, by the end of that lockdown and just, yeah, needed a break from journalism because it, it just felt like mm. I'd run out of steam and energy and maybe in an ideal world, I'd have had supervision and, you know, some <laughs> extra support. So, but it, in mm. journalism, you sort of like, the next story is the next thing you have to do and you just, yeah. And for me, I just needed to almost take a clean break for a little bit mm. just to recharge. Yeah, and I, and I sort of feel like I've done that over the last few months. But, yeah, it, I don't know how you hold it well because I mm. it eventually just wore me down. But it, I don't think I'd – I didn't turn to the bottle or anything. So <laughs> <laughs> I just – I was probably – old enough to realize I just need to take a break rather than maybe in the past I would have um, just kept grinding keep through going. it and mm. yeah had to have a mental breakdown to realize that yeah so yeah I don't know what the answer is in terms of how you hold it to stay all the time but some for me I sort of feel like I do stints at things mm. and then I okay. take and then I do a, time out. do something else mm. yeah do another interesting 
probably equally intense, but different job. <laughs> so that I stay fresh in some way. Yeah, it, it frustrates my friends and wife who are like, why are you always changing jobs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The word is you're talking, uh, just I'm thinking about the link between journalism and church and how that impacts the way we look at the world mm. the, the word that keeps popping into my my head is disconnected i think what i hear in in your experience as a journalist is you are at the grassroots you mm. are going and you're hearing the stories of people in the community in the community that you're living in and are concerned about and so you can't help but bring those stories to light and mm. so that impacts you as a as a person i, I wonder in your experience of the various faith communities that you have been a part of, or perhaps the one that you're a part of at the moment, is there a disconnect between, and I guess, what we're we're doing on a Sunday morning or wherever, whenever we happen to meet, and and the communities that we are located in, or is yeah, um, yes and no. I guess it depends on the congregation. It certainly feels like I'm in a I'm part of a congregation that meets on Zoom. We've still got, I guess, a crew who are very um, worried about their immune systems mm. and so we're trying to be really you know respectful of that and i imagine in the summer we'll start to get together more in person but we're we're very much a very anyone can come kind of church and sure. you know there'd be people in our church who would definitely wouldn't call one wouldn't want to be called christians wow okay <laughs> but, they, but they like coming so that's cool. nice um <laughs> so I guess the disconnect, I find it more in the um, more mainstream churches. Okay. And I guess we've mm. purposely gone for a local kind of expression of faith that's outside of the mainstream just because it less, I think the thing I used to find hard is like you you have, um, you know, in male work, you're, you're meeting out there very real, very grassroots type people. And then you go to church, everyone's sort of clean and um, nice and, and happy and, and you talk about <laughs> this nice little, you know, and it's a, and that did feel like a disconnect, and it felt like too hard to actually almost live in two worlds. Mm. And I think we're always going to be living in different worlds anyway. Like we have different sections of friends and our family groups and all that. So it's it's unrealistic to say, oh, my whole world will always be one unified thing. But yeah, I guess for us, it's been a real blessing and a joy to just be in a group of people that really just like being together and we don't have big hang-ups on theology but you know we do talk about Jesus as a focus and um, mm. get together and our kids like hanging out with each other when we do yeah and I guess that's the other thing you know like it's very much a all-in service and well and when we have services <laughs> sure so, whereas, you know, it's, so it's all very messy, you know, we meet, we were meeting in a kindergarten, so there's, you know, wow. basically we're toys and colouring pens everywhere and we're trying to like <laughs> have a 10 minute discussion about something while um, our kids are trying to kill each other outside <laughs> of the playground. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's very messy and it probably doesn't leave us all edified in an in intellectual sense, but, uh, you know, I think that is where we it's really good for what, what we're, we're at and it doesn't create that feeling of like we're entering this bubble after we've been in this other bubble it sort of mm. feels a bit more natural expression of our everyday community life yeah but it's been a weird not having that actually over covid like just meeting over mm. zoom and i find zoom really hard as a way of engaging with people yeah yeah so it 
Well, I'm sure we'll get back to that. But um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess the other thing, man, church is draining for the leaders. And I just like think, and you guys obviously do this and yep. amazing, but it's so like, I see, I know how hard it is for our pastor to hold it together to keep yep. this group going. It's just so hard. And I just think, man, I don't know what the change or the model that we need to move to, but some model where pastors don't have to hold everything mm. and be everything, you know, it's full on, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Cause at least in a business or something like that, you can like hopefully have a whole bunch of extra people doing different things, but pastors tend to have to be across everything and in everything unless you're really big. Yeah. And then we, if you guys get so isolated from everyone else, it's, yeah, it's full on. So uh, yeah, that, I think that's the, the way forward is somewhere in there, like mm. making sure we don't create these, this class of people who basically almost get trashed on, on a weekly basis in some way, maybe it's not a negative, but just have to carry so much and it's just, <laughs> it's full on. So mm. yeah. I'm not sure if we're going backwards here. So again, <laughs> um, I, I think just in hearing what you've just said, my, my mind's going back to obviously you mentioned being part of missional community. Uh, so when I, I could just give my little, what happened there when I went to missional community. So I was a journalist, got kind of sick of probably similar to where I am now, where I'm feeling like I'm telling all these amazing stories and I'm not really doing anything. I'm just moving from one story to the next. So I kind of quit journalism, went to Bible college, started working part-time at the Salvation Army and trying to become a youth worker and I think we started a missional community and then we tried to join with another one because we realized we needed more support yeah and that kind of actually led us to putting lots of roots down in Mangere. and so for a while there I thought I, my life was going to be coaching rugby running a youth club yeah and but I think what happened for us is that we realized actually we've got all these skills like my wife's a graphic designer and a teacher and a really uh, she's also done a computer science degree so she's super talented mm. and i'm i'm a lowly journalist and yet we're here we were thinking well the, what god wants us to do is to run um, icebreakers on a wednesday night with a bunch of teenagers which <laughs> is definitely a good thing to do but <laughs> it just was like oh we've got all these other things in our kitty or our bag and we're not really utilizing them and we just weren't feeling like um engaged i guess that we were using all our skills and so we were like actually maybe we need to just do what we're good at which is for me it's writing and for my wife it's mm. um, visual art and in terms of graphic design and connecting with people and using her you know skills in a school where she works now and me you know using my skills in journalism and so yeah we both went back to in part, it was precipitated by us having kids as well and realizing there's no way we can have a child and feed ourselves and be missional. <laughs> it just was so hard, like scrounging for money as um, urban kind of missionaries. Uh, this is not a story I've really told because it's sort of weird for someone to admit that they tried to be an urban missionary. But, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So we went back into the real world, I guess, or the job world, but probably have found more meaning in that because mm. we actually got some skills in it and we're not kind of grating up against our lack of ability as youth workers or as um, community workers because essentially we're both introverts. So we can only so many events you can hold without like totally running out of steam. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. mm. so, but yeah, it also, I guess, was one of the things that in the church we talk a lot about 
the, you know, I'm sure you guys constantly talk about this, the sort of the uh, sanctified few who do all the stuff. And we kind of pull, put certain people up on pedestals because they're out there they're doing the thing or the missional thing. And we have all these other people who are really skilled at their jobs, you know, and, and yet we, we often aren't valuing them or putting them. Mm. Yeah. And then that, I mean, that's a classic Rick Warren thing, isn't it? But um, <laughs> it's just sort of like still something that we struggle with in our churches, even though mm. it's been something talked about. Since. But, you know, like just getting, yeah. So, yeah. But that, yeah, so that's that's our little journey, I guess, trying to live a purpose-driven life. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that, that's also weird. <laughs> no, I don't think it's weird at all. I think that's the journey. I think that you have to kind of see what fits and try things to kind of get that feel. And then what you've you've come to is more embodied. You know, yeah. so that there isn't the disconnect because that's what we're saying. There's such a disconnect with the everyday week and then what we do when we gather. And there shouldn't be. It should just be a, a reinforcement and encouragement to keep on doing what you're doing during the week. Hmm. And so I like hearing that. I like hearing that wrestle that you had to do to kind of work it out. And, and that's all part of where you are now. So I think that's great to hear that story as other people are listening and doing the same thing, trying to work out what does this embodied faith that isn't disconnected from the everyday look like. So thank you. Thanks for bringing us into that. So maybe as we're wrapping up our time, um, we, we'd like to ask the question of if, what's one simple um, thing that our listeners could do uh, differently this week or perhaps a new thing that, that they could do differently to bring some of the, the changes that we, we might be imagining together? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I've just been thinking about my, as we're talking about my, the, the pastor or the, I think she's a minister or reverend. I'm not sure she's, she doesn't like titles, but um, just, thinking about her a little bit and just thinking, man, you know, I, I can take a break from journalism and, and she's mm -hmm. taken sabbaticals at different periods. But I guess the thing I would say is, you know, reach out to your leaders within your church and just tell them mm -hmm. they're doing okay and <laughs> kind mm -hmm. of encourage them. And because, mm -hmm. um, you know, th I guess you guys hold the, the community, you, you hold, you're like the, the carriers of this thing. You're like the, the secret people out in society with this, like, desire to, to keep communities going and that's one thing that's different between me and my minister is that she holds this thing of like i want to keep this community going mm. and or some form of community whereas i don't have that same passion for that and that's a special thing and i guess we all need to just yeah thank our leaders for doing that and take them out for coffee or something but um yeah awesome. that, that's essentially that's what keeps the church going you know like i was as long as people get married and have babies and die, there'll always be some form of church because those are such essential rhythms of our, our life, right? Mm. And someone has to take the responsibility in those moments to bring us together, um, focus us, get us to reflect on that mm. circle. And that's a minister or a pastor or a, a spiritual leader of some sort. And every society has them. Mm. And we need to look after you guys, I guess. Um, oh, that's very you. kind. So that's, yeah, yeah. So after saying that, we should unravel the church. <laughs> let's not let's not unravel our pastors and ministers. Wow. So, yeah. Awesome. 
Well, Justin, we really appreciate you taking some time uh, to, to chat with us today. And um, mm. we look forward to, to hearing or seeing more of you around as, as, as life develops. And uh, again, thank you for giving voice to so many people in our communities, particularly in South Auckland, yeah. is in, in that work that you, you've been doing. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Changes Aheadcast or Twitter at Ahead Changes. See you next time.